Good afternoon and welcome to Fact Out Recovery. Afternoon, Ronnie. Good afternoon, Richard. And how are we this week? I'm all right this week. Good week. Not too bad. Hot, but, I assume. Oh, very hot. Very nice. I'm enjoying the weather, actually, because sometimes I find it a bit too much. But you know what? I'm, I've been practising gratitude this week, so... What, for the sun? For everything that I should be grateful for. Because I was having one of those weeks where I was a little bit up and down, up and down. And I thought to myself, well, what, what's the problem here? And then I realised that there isn't a problem at all. And I think it's the fact that there was no problems at all was worrying me that I wasn't going to be equipped for when ah. I comes along. <laughs> so I've practised a bit of gratitude. I've done some gratitude lists and stuff. And I realised that oh, life's good. Life is actually really good. So Yeah, I think sometimes we forget that, don't we? Yeah, I mean, you've only got to look at where you was and stuff like that and, and, and even where you wasn't and... And, and look back and, and make and yeah it's yeah and if I look at where I've come from mm. there's no question that things are good today by comparison so I think the biggest thing for me is when I forget how good the ordinary is yes these days yes when I forget how good the humdrum is when I forget how good the boring is compared to what it was sitting like in a room in my pajamas unwashed because even the ordinary days where nothing particular happens, mm. it's still a good day. And it's very easy to have those just accumulate and actually think, no, no, it's not good, it's not good, but it is. Yeah, definitely, man. Because I can cope with this normality in a way that I couldn't. Yeah, and that's it, isn't it? And sometimes I half believe that we like to, well, I can only speak for myself, we like a bit of chaos sometimes, I think. And do we miss the madness sometimes? I don't know. It's almost like, you know, when you're coming off alcohol, you get the shakes. And they don't actually go away. So even though I'm physically detoxed, mm -hmm. I've still got this kind of memory shake going on for, <laughs> yeah. for I don't know how long. But it's actually more a psychological memory. Yeah. And looking at a glass for the first time sober and twitching my hands. Oh. And it's not actually because... I'm still physically shaking. It's actually a memory. Yeah. And also, I can have those memories of chaos. Yeah. I tweak sometimes and think, oh, oh, oh but it used to be like this. Yeah, definitely. And and like you can look back. It's nice to look back sometimes and put yourself back into that situation and remember how you felt at the time, what position you was in at the time. For me, it was all about the people I owed money to. Was was what I hid from a, a lot. It was, I don't know how I managed to do it. You know, the thought of not paying your mortgage bill and the thought of not paying your credit card and this, that, and the other. And, oh, it was like, have a drink, it will go away. It's a lot of it, it's about changing our reactions, isn't it? Yeah. I, I was thinking about it because I was looking at some more dilemmas today, I was writing some more. And what we often get when we discuss them is we get the, what was my reaction when I was in the madness, mm -hmm. as opposed to what is my reaction now. Mm -hmm. And the idea of putting those choices in is to have the, yeah, this is what we would expect to do now, mm -hmm. but actually these other four, which are all mad, yeah. these are things we would have considered reasonable. Yeah, 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 then. yeah, yeah. And sitting in a room plotting revenge on everyone involved over the slightest incident, that is what I used to do, yes. Yeah, yeah, definitely, man. Life's good today, and yeah, so, so my week's been full of checking myself and making sure that I'm in line with my spiritual program and also my like i say my gratitude today is a good day it's funny because when i did give my head a wobble and, and look at that i keep saying gratitude today then it's gonna be a gratitude week that's fine um and i give myself a wobble how nice it is that it, 
afterwards so you start to again appreciate the smaller things like I did when I first when I first came into recovery and realised that life can be good with out alcohol and substances it's one of the things I remind myself of when it comes to the the, the gratitude thing is that it's those simple things that I can do that accumulate that actually make me more at ease with the world mm. and a lot of those simple things I couldn't do without overcomplicating them a lot of those simple things I couldn't do without getting angry or without getting upset because there was no balance in the way that I reacted to anything. And it would be very easy to forget that the bedrock of my staying clean and sober is often about those simple things. Yeah, definitely. And like we were talking about routine. Well, we keep talking about routine, don't we? Mm. I was editing last week's episode. For anyone who listened to last week and thought that we were going a bit off beam when we were talking about space-time continuum and turkey dinosaurs, mm. there won't be any more of that this week. Did you um, say discombobulated last week? I might have said discombobulated, yes. Because I, I do say discombobulated. That was the first yes. time I ever heard that word, and then I heard it again. I was in a meeting the other day, and I heard somebody say discombobulated. My, they must have thought I was nuts because my face lit up, and I, and I was just like, oh, that word again. It's one of my favourite Or was words. the part of you thinking, oh, it really does exist. It's, Richard didn't make it up. Yeah, discombobulated. It sounds like, imagine a skeleton and all the joints where it's meant to connect are all discombobulated and they're, they're not connected and the round bit's supposed to fit in the hole but it's not fitted. Well it kind of sums it up though doesn't it because it's all yeah. being a bit disorientated and not quite with so it. So the but... skeleton can't hold its shape because the bits of the joints don't go together like when you try and mix Lego with something different. I went up to the rehearsal room at the theatre because mm -hmm. We needed a baby for this particular scene in the play. We'd already got the small baby, and I'm assuming you are on about dolls. Dolls, yeah. No, we don't keep small children in the rehearsal <laughs> room. No, and there's this huge baby doll in a baby grow. It's about three and a half feet tall. It's massive. Is that something the audience can see? The no, no. <laughs> it's for the nightmare sequence, so the baby's oversized. Uh, we don't know where we got this thing from. It's frightening to ooh. look at, and the arms are dislocated. So what I did was I brought it down and I stood it up and pressing on the head and moving it around, the arms are wheeling, windmilling all over the place. And we've got kids in this production, they're all running away going, stop it, it's horrible. That was just, it does sound quite horrible. It sounds like something you've seen. Chuck, uh, it's I, mutant. It really is. It's discombobulated. It's discombobulating as well. Yeah, yeah. the legs would be next. And so... All in all, oh, can I just quickly mention something? Last Absolutely. I had a letter through the post from the police explaining to me that I was driving a mechanically propelled vehicle without due care and appreciation of other people on the road. And I look back and I remember I passed a cyclist. And do you know, you have to be like really, really careful with these cyclists because I passed, of I actually remember passing the cyclists. And of course, you've got to be careful because, you know, hats off to them, they're saving the planet and all that business. But <laughs> I'd like to think so, yeah. It was a case of like, I could not do anything more to make sure the cyclist stayed mounted on his bike and I passed the traffic in the safest way possible. But I've been given a possible fine or a cause to go on. And did I rage? I rage and rage and rage. And I wanted something done there and then you can't obviously get hold of people. I wanted it all out. I want to go to court. To be honest, that's a perfectly normal reaction when you haven't done anything wrong. 
Yeah, because it doesn't sound like you did anything wrong. And actually, you could easily be accused of doing something wrong around the cyclist when you didn't. Yeah, Because definitely. you're the one in the car. Yeah. And also, they're following a procedure that's tick box, so they're not accounting for the way the incident really happened at all. They're probably only listening to the cyclist. Yeah, definitely. There's probably an agenda there. And to be angry about that, one, is a normal human reaction, and two, you could say it's an alcoholic reaction, actually. Yeah. Anger. I wasn't allowed to have my say. No, absolutely. That's the thing. It's, it's the injustice thing. Mm. I know from my own journey that my worst reactions were always about unfairness. Yes, yes. And yes. I could be quite calm around stuff that was shocking yeah. or whatever, or all sorts of things that you wouldn't expect me to be calm about. Yeah. But when something was uh, openly and overtly unfair, mm -hmm. particularly directed against me, mm. I would go apeshit. And no, I, I totally agree there. And I think we're actually more liable to go apeshit in recovery mm -hmm, mm -hmm. over something like that than we might even have been when we were off our faces because we're irrational when we're off our faces in terms of what we get angry about or what we accept. Mm -hmm. Yeah, so the rage and, and just like, and I was almost like, I do believe at the moment the majority of cyclists, you know, stick by the rules, they do the right thing, and you know, they've got a right to go on the road, etc. But I think there's a small minority that will use the rules, what they're allowed to do, yeah. uh, and they'll use them when they don't need to use them. If that makes sense, I can't. I don't know if that makes and sense. And a lot of cyclists are using the pavement anyway because we don't have oh, yeah. proper cycling lanes. Yeah, they jump the pavements and stuff like that. And it just annoys me because I felt like this gave the. There's a lot of talk in the newspapers at the minute and in the news about cyclists and what their rights, you know, what their, the laws are and stuff. And to be fair, it's like I think the cyclists will always win. And um, Probably, yeah. And it sounds to me like it didn't do anything wrong. No, I certainly didn't. And I didn't mean to put anybody's life in danger. And I certainly didn't put anyone's lives in danger. And what will be, will be. But I mean, yes. I think the unfairness thing is a really important point. How we respond mm -hmm. to things when we know that they're wrong. Yeah. It's part of that thing about being in recovery and thinking, right, I'm doing the right things now. Because yes. I'm focused on doing the right things now. When someone else does something that's obviously shitty, <laughs> yeah. My first knee-jerk reaction is to get incredibly angry with them because I'm doing all these things reasonably yeah. now, especially if you've got a history, as you have, of various mm -hmm. driving incidents. Yes. Yep. You're now driving sensibly and properly, and mm -hmm. then you get accused of doing something that isn't anything. Yeah, it's like I accept the fact that I was driving, and my driving wasn't great before, you know, I paid the price Well, for you did. It, and now I'm going extra careful. And... Oh. I suppose it's a test as well uh, to see how I can handle it. Because, uh, yeah, I was raged, this, that, and the other. And I did write a scathing letter. <laughs> I, just looked at the I can understand that too. The constables read it or not, I don't know. But I haven't heard anything back. So we'll keep listeners, our listeners, updated on that one. Ronnie's looming judgments looming on Ronnie. Hanging. But we make no judgments here. No. Right. Dilemma time. Mm. Your sponsor discovers that you've been going to the pub to watch the football. Mm -hmm. You don't think it matters and that they're being unduly unreasonable. Do you A, tell them to lighten up and chill out. B, invite them to the pub quiz next week. C, become moody and aggressive, accusing them of trying to ruin your life. D, make sure you find out who shopped you, then tell their sponsor that they've relapsed. E, engage in a reasonable dialogue with them and listen. Do you know that is so strange that you, you've been that up because of uh, this It's dilemma. a fluke. 
<laughs> yeah. This is the next one on the list. It's so weird because literally as of a few days ago, I would have says, I would have engaged in conversation and explained to them that, you know, I feel my recovery is strong enough for me to be able to go and sit in a bar or a club or sorry a pub to watch the football but as of a couple of days ago I've changed my mind because I was I went to a, a bar for some lunch actually it was just full of some lunch and some people got talking just was drinking wine obviously they'd had a few too yeah you know a few that was very talkative and, and it was talking about those people that start talking to you and you don't want to talk to them it was quite ironic really because it was well you're doing exactly that and they had a glass of wine and I had this fleeting thought of I can have a glass of wine why I could sit here and have a glass of wine and obviously I, it wasn't going to happen but something went through my head where it was absolutely fine for me to have a glass of wine yeah and it was such a strange feeling so finally that little saying that I keep hearing if you go to a barber's or sit in a barber's long enough you will have your hair cut yeah and now only recently now I like that saying prior to that I thought well you wouldn't be in the barber in the first place and all that, all that kind of stuff but yeah so I think it's about whether you're going for one appointment or one meeting or whether you're doing it frequently because if you just agreed to meet someone and it happened to be a pop I don't, I don't think that would be necessarily deleterious to recovery definitely if you had a reason for meeting them in the pub I don't, I don't think that would really be a problem but if you're going on a regular sort of every week basis yeah you yeah. are setting yourself up Definitely. And like you say about the barber thing, if you're going under this spurious reasoning of, oh, go and watch football, or oh, might as well join the pub quiz team as well, yeah, or what about yeah, darts? Yeah. And yeah. actually, what you're doing is you're recreating your pub life and trying to do it without a drink. Yes. Which is a relatively dangerous thing to do when we're talking about adopting new habits mm -hmm. when we sober up. I do go for meals in pubs, you know, with the fellowship and with friends of mine and stuff like that and it doesn't even cross my mind it crossed my mind that one day I think it was due to the fact they was talking but yeah you're right it's well it's not unfeasible the idea that that would cross your mind of course it's going to cross <laughs> your mind because of what you did for 25 years before you got here yeah but it was very of course it's going to cross your mind at some point it you was can't. a very appealing thought that went through my mind it was almost like I had an epiphany that was I could have a glass of wine. And that also reminds me about a part in the book which says, the madness before that first drink, why did I take it? And you just don't. Well, yeah, absolutely. And the fact that you flagged up that first drink mm. is really important. Of course, yeah, definitely. Because flagging up that first drink is yeah. what stops the rest of it going. Do you know, I would like to ring their sponsor anonymously and tell them I've spotted them in a pub myself. You'd be tempted, wouldn't you? Yeah, I would definitely be tempted. I mean, it really They've done that to me, so I'm going to do that to them. I have had it before, to be honest with you. I mean, it's so... Um, when you're living in an organisation's accommodation and stuff like that, and people do talk and chat and this, oh, I've seen this one in this place, I've seen that one in that place, it's look wild. And so I'll just carry on. I would speak to my sponsor about it, and I'd explain to him what the reason why. And for me, I'd be doing it for the right reason, hopefully, and he would understand. A lot of it is about being rational about what you're doing and why. Being rational, that's it. Rational. Because I hear these people saying, oh, I can't go down the alcohol aisle in the supermarket. <laughs> I'm thinking, why the fuck not? It's just a row of things with things on it that you're not going to buy. Yeah, definitely. Why are you going in there saying, right, I'm going to avoid this, I'm going to avoid that. You will never live 
if I'm, that's what you do because alcohol is everywhere it's absolutely everywhere but if you truly believe that you cannot walk down an alcohol aisle then don't do it that means you can't go to a shop yeah i'm thinking about them people who probably think that they've got recovery because they don't walk down the aisle and if you don't want to walk down the aisle please don't walk down the aisle <laughs> but yeah you should be able to walk down the aisle definitely and, and keep but it's just another bubble of bullshit isn't it because it's i'm not going to go anywhere where i might possibly be confronted by a drink yeah so i'm not going to see any friends i'm not going to go anywhere apart from fellowship meetings yeah i'm going to stay at home yeah. i'm not going to talk to anyone mm -hmm. when i go shopping i'm only going down this part of the shop it's not actually accessing the world no, it's, it's not, not a bridge to the normal it's, living no. and it's not living at all and I think this idea that because I'm in recovery I will never set foot in a pub again is a dangerous one to get into oh yeah because if you do end up in that pub in your head you've already relapsed cause yes. just because you've gone into the pub so if I'm in the pub I've relapsed I'm also have the drink and you've created something that says if I'm ever in licensed premises I'm going to drink mm. so the back of your head thinks the second you end up in licensed premises yeah. that could happen without your planning it the minute that happens you're fucked I've been asked to go to nightclubs and stuff like that and I have, I've said no and the reason why I've said no not because of the temptation of drugs or that may be there but because I used to go to nightclubs because I wanted to take drugs and the drugs and the nightclub and the music all went together so I wouldn't want to go to a nightclub sober because that's not me I only like going to nightclubs when I'm off my tits so going to nightclubs is out the question I find it probably It'd be alright listening to a bit of music, but apart from that, it's really Well, for good. me, one, I think I'm too old to go to a nightclub. Two, I only ever went to nightclubs way back when, and this is 30 years ago, really, mm. the best part of, mm. 25, 30 years ago. I only did at that time because the bar was still open. <laughs> because pubs didn't have 24-hour licensing at that time. Yeah. And the only way of going somewhere where you could still get a drink was to go to a nightclub at mm. 11 o'clock. It's like going to swim baths and not swimming, And it was watered-down piss with a bit oh. of lager in it. Yeah. But I wouldn't do it for anything else. And things weren't open till six in the morning then, yeah. unless they were illegal house parties. Yeah, 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 yeah. I remember them changing the laws actually, that there was only allowed to stay open past 11 o'clock if they serve food. And I think this thing about licensed premises, mm -hmm. that is something that we might come across anyway as part of mm -hmm. rejoining life. Yes. Of meeting people. You might go to a funeral, mm -hmm. and it might be back at a social club. Mm -hmm. You can't just not go mm. and say, sorry, I'm going to stand outside because there's booze in there. And then Uncle Gerald, who's already pissed, comes out <coughs> and dropping lager all over the place. Yeah, yeah, and you yeah. run away. And you spot that half pint of cider still on the yeah, side. And it's living in your own fear, isn't it? Mm. Can't live in fear. Because that's one thing I learned. The first thing I learned about recovery was not to live in fear. It teaches you not to live in fear. Yeah, I'm, I'm certainly not frightened of alcohol anymore. Oh, I'm, I'm I mean, I have a healthy fear of what it would do to me if I were ever to pick it up again. Mm. But I'm not frightened of it, and I know that when it's around me, I don't need to drink it. That's for everybody else. Well, I think I was fortunate enough for the the temptation was lifted, just like it was plucked out of me, like as if you could pluck out, I don't know, whatever a behaviour out of somebody. And I remember when it happened, and the desire to drink was taken away from me by a power greater than myself, and I believe. Uh, yeah, it's just never entered me back. It's never come back. I think I've just known that. Obviously, you know, I've got the evidence. You drink, this is what happens. If you don't drink, yeah. this is what happens. So it's far better not to drink. Yeah, better not to drink. And obviously, we want the best for our lives. So. I think after we've overcomplicated everything at the point of stopping, detoxing, and those early weeks, mm -hmm. 
when we stop overcomplicating everything, it becomes very simple. Yeah. I can't drink because of what happens whenever I drink. Yeah. Because it becomes chaotic. Yeah. And once it's chaotic, I drink again to try and stop it being chaotic. But yeah. that makes it more chaotic, yeah. so I drink again. And round and round and round and round and round the mulberry bush yeah. and round the hamster's wheel. And I wonder why I'm still drinking 18 months later. To be and that's why I can't drink. And obviously, I can't just put the drink down and try and stop and say, right, I'm not going to go anywhere near anything that's got any alcohol. And I'm not going to go anywhere near any place where there is alcohol. I'm going to sit at home and I'm going to shake violently with frustration. And then suddenly I'm going to break after about 72 hours, go down the off license and drink even more. Yeah, I find if you torment yourself with them kind of thoughts all the time, it builds up and builds up and builds up, and eventually you will snap, and eventually you just you'll you'll take the drink. It's like that with food. Yes, I'm on a diet. I can't Same with chocolate, isn't it? Yeah, chocolate definitely, because I'm on this calorie counting diet. There's chocolate all over the house all the time, and I'm looking at this and I'm looking at that, and there's a chocolate trifle and there's this and. Because I kept tormenting myself, oh, how nice would that be, how nice would that be, how nice. Eventually I broke and I ate the whole lot. I ate a whole trifle, a chocolate bar, a, a cone and this and that and the other. And I thought, well this is because I keep tormenting myself over it and it's just not worth it. It's like we've said before, it's this dealing in absolutes. I can't deal in absolutes. Mm. Because if I deal in absolutes, I'm saying one, I will never drink again. I don't know that. Oh, Two, yeah, yeah, yeah. I cannot do this, I will not do that. And I make these things absolute, and it makes it far more likely that I will break them. Yeah, definitely. Whereas if I accept, okay, I didn't do the things I said I was going to do yesterday, and I ate a whole bar of chocolate because it was there. Mm. If I just accept that for what it is, yeah. I'm not going straight back to, oh, no, 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 I've done it now. I'll have to keep doing it. And that's alcoholic thinking anyway. Yeah. It was terrible. <laughs> it was terrible. It's a shame that we you can't see us because I actually took pictures of it, of what was I'm, in this trifle bowl. After what you said about that pavlova, I've been trying to picture it. Oh, yeah, it was everywhere. There was loads I'm of it. I'm picturing you sneaking down at two o'clock in the morning, eyeing up this pavlova and then, oh, Sonic, let's go. I call that sleep eating because yes. you know what? There's nothing stopping me. If I wake up in the night and I've got... The munchies I will eat, even if it's a bowl of cereal. I have nuts for that purpose. Really? Yeah. I should have something like that, shouldn't I? I have a packet of nuts is left prominently in the kitchen for when that happens. If there's no chocolate, which I always hope that there isn't, I purposely not have chocolate, I will go for the cereal, which I think is a little bit better. Well, it is better, is isn't it, than a bar of chocolate, so. I like to mix them as well, so I've got, I put albumin and honey nut, chocolate honey nut clusters oh. together. It's lovely. Invented breakfast with Ronnie. What's coming next? Mm -hmm. Prunes and porridge. No. I did go through a phase of putting vegetables in my porridge. I haven't done that recently, but I went through a phase where I was chopping up cabbage. And that is... And there were bits of chopped courgettes. And Actually, I have sprouts, broccoli, spinach, and what's the other thing? And yeah, in my oats, but I have it in a shake. So I put some. Yeah, I can understand that. I put some oats in, then I put all the veggie, and I put a little bit of tiny bit of fruit in, not too much. Well, I've been stewing in rhubarb and putting that on my porridge. I've been getting rhubarb from yeah, the, but that's sweet, the veg it? box. Only if you put sugar on it. Isn't rhubarb and custard sweet at dessert? Because it's got sugar on it. What you put your own sugar on it? Yeah, if you stew rhubarb, you've got to put some sugar on it because otherwise it certainly isn't sweet. You've got, oh, right, okay. Um, there you go. <laughs> Uh, no, it wouldn't be sweet if you just put rhubarb in a saucepan of boiling water. Well, so, so, so you've got rhubarb, which is a vegetable, yeah? 
I don't know what rhubarb is, it's just rhubarb. Well, well let's it? call it whatever it is, which isn't sweet, and you put sugar on it, and then it becomes sweet, and you can make a dessert. So couldn't you do that with, like, celery? Well, I see no reason why not. Put sugar on it and make it into dessert, or broccoli? Of course, celery, unlike rhubarb, doesn't disentangle itself and become all runny when you boil it. Oh, so it's like... See, rhubarb will oh. gradually melt down. You Syrup. Stew, like stewed apple. Mm, okay. In the same way as when you get cooking apples and you stew them, you end up with the sauce. And you so have to use a bit of sugar with stuff like that because otherwise it comes out bitter. It's like if you've got a whole load of beetroot, whole beetroot, yeah. and put them through a juicer mm-hmm. and made a smoothie, mm-hmm. it would be incredibly bitter. Really? Yeah. But they're so nice, beetroot. I love beetroot. Oh, beetroot's fantastic. Absolutely. However, if you do that with a whole beetroot and juice it, it's bitter. Beetroot. I loved it, but che- no one Cheese else and beetroot on thick tiger bread with plenty of butter. I used to love them sandwiches at work. You weren't pregnant, were you? No. Oh, I'm not sure. The, you don't know these days, do you? You don't assume. You do <laughs> Let's not get into that Actually, debate. They, well, yeah, they say now you, you're pregnant, male and female, because I'm not talking about gender or anything like that, but, you know, if your partner's pregnant, if you're male... Oh, there's the weird pregnant, isn't there? Yeah, 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 and your female partner is pregnant, then the male can say he's pregnant now. Well, that, I mean, let's be honest, that was employed in Carry On Doctor, wasn't it? Because in Carry On Doctor, you've got Sid James pretending to be ill and putting the thermometer in his tea every morning so that it comes out at 104. And you've got Charles Hawtrey playing the guy who thinks he's having a baby. He's actually <laughs> delusional to the point whereby he's in hospital because he believes he's having the baby. <laughs> and his wife, who's pregnant, coming to his bedside to visit him. Obviously, they were being really silly, and this was over 50 years ago, so things have changed a lot since then. Yes, so not we're pregnant. We're pregnant meaning... We as a couple are pregnant. I'm used yeah. to hearing that. Yeah, yeah. That's, that's what I think I was, uh, that's what I meant to be. And I think a lot of couples say that, don't mm. they? Yeah, we're pregnant. It's nice, nice, isn't it? It's well, it's a shared experience. Yeah, I mean, okay, the woman goes through the physical aspect of yeah. it. And as I'm told, it's bloody painful. Well, but, I've experienced um, pancreatitis. Pancreatitis? Pancreatitis. They say it's the same. Well, I mean, correct me if I'm wrong, I may be wrong. I'm not trying to take anything away from anybody, but they say it's just as painful as childbirth. I had an obscure disease when I was 18, called born home disease, which normally affects either young adults or horses. If horses get it, they have to be put down. It's <laughs> inflammation of the chest wall, and it literally feels like having a heart attack. Really? So I came to about 2 o'clock in the morning, and it was crushing me. I could feel this crushing pain on my chest. Went to A&E, and I'm still there in all this pain, and they're, and they're saying, oh, there's nothing wrong with him. Really? And eventually the GP came out and he said, ah, <laughs> it must be this obscure Danish disease. How scary is it? It's scary. It was terrifying. If they don't The know. thing is, I was 18, so I didn't contextualise heart attack. At 18, you don't think that. You just think, what the fuck? And mm. I think pain's another thing, though, isn't it, being sober? Mm. I had a list from the doctor the other day because I, I have asthma. And I use my asthma pump quite regularly, and I've had asthma attacks. The letter says, we need you to come in to check to see if you still have asthma. Now, I've never had it before, and I just thought... Oh, they do stuff like that, yeah, yeah. There's all sorts of odd things you can get left with that. Mm. Anyway, let's have a second one. You've been stopped for... Oh, you've been stopped for drunk driving. Mm -hmm. Do you, A, run away and hide? Then get more pissed, so it will all become a dream. 
B, construct a dramatic sob story about having to go and take your mother to A&E because the ambulance won't get there in time. C, take it for what it is and accept whatever action the police take. D, ring your sponsor. E, pretend to be someone else and hope that they'll give up and go away. You know, every single one of those answers, I know someone that's done Yeah, that all myself. Yeah. <laughs> it's always good if you've got a twin brother because it's really, really good because if they can't prove which one it is, you, there's nothing really they can do about it. No. And I know of that kind of thing. It wasn't a car. It was, it was a crime that was committed by a brother who had an identical twin brother and... Because and they, they couldn't prove either way. And they was going, no, that's him. And they was going, no, that's him. No, that's him. And he was so funny. You imagine them and trying to investigate. And go, so they'd go to the one. Which one is it? And they'd go to the other one. And they'd go off with it. They got off. It was so funny. But we're going back to the question. I mean, unfortunately, I've been in that situation where the police have pulled me over and I've been over the limit. And I wouldn't want to scare people. But unfortunately, it just depends on what level you are intoxicated as to what you actually do. Personally, I tried to bribe my way out of it. Yeah. And once I told them not even to bother, I said, don't even bother with that because I am drunk. And <laughs> so they didn't bother. They took me in the cell. And then I tried to plead that I wasn't. Struggled with the breathing into the breathalyzer on purpose. So I can say this because, you know, I paid for it and got done for failing to provide a specimen. And yeah, it's a case of, unfortunately, how do you do that when you're intoxicated? You, you don't tend to rationally accept it, I no. suppose. Unless you've only just slightly been over the limit. Like, let's say you've had two glasses of wine, so you're not drunk. But you've drank enough to take you over the yeah. limit. Then obviously, you know, you confess your sins and, and that's it. Or you could prolong it. Because you know when they... <laughs> should I be saying this? Well, the actual specimen they take at the police station is the one which is the one that they use. They can't use the roadside one because it's not completely accurate. So the nearest police station is full and they have to travel another half an hour or another hour to get there. You've only had two glasses by the time you get there. You'd be actually them under the limit. Oh, right. See how my head works? You know, it's. There's like, also the fact that you would become used to trotting out responses, wouldn't you? I never drove, but mm -hmm. I had trotted out responses I would always give mm. if I knew that alcohol was in the equation. Yeah, definitely. It's, um, and then there's the old suck the two pence piece. Yeah. Trick. I remember months having a grub full of coppers and I couldn't even speak. Oh, no. <laughs> and I just bear with me, my chewing gum. <laughs> With all the coins. Oh dear, man. Um, really bad. And at the time, I'm so glad that I got caught. Funny you say that. A lot of people say that in recovery. Yeah. I'm true. glad I got caught. Definitely glad I got caught. Fortunately, I didn't harm anybody apart from myself. I didn't injure somebody. Some, I look back and I think, good God. And in fact, even when I was caught and I was still drinking afterwards, I still accepted it after the argument and the fight for the police. And thought, thank God I didn't run somebody over there. Because I always thought that, well, at least you haven't run someone over. You've lost your job. Well, at least you haven't killed anyone. That's yeah. what I mean, yeah. The horrors. That's the only way I got through that. that I those. suppose if you've lost your job and lost everything else, you know, it's a question of what can I lose next, isn't it? Mm. Well, I managed to keep the house three times. No, two times, and then the last time there's just no chance. There's only so many times you can remortgage a house. Well, yeah, absolutely. Yeah, it's ridiculous. To begin with, I think it's the lengths we go to in order to make it not the fault of alcohol. Mm. The lens that we go to to deny the fact that there's a reason why we're behaving like this. The lens that we go to 
to try and get out of things and get out of taking responsibility. The times yeah. we try and redesign mm. what's actually happened yeah. to a way that suits us, to a version that suits us. Well, yeah, that's it, isn't it? You know, I enjoyed my drink. I remember a probation officer that I had once, and she's pointed out, can I just go through something with you? She said, well, everything that has happened in your life and that's caused you problems have all been related to drink. I went, no, that's just a coincidence. I said, it's nothing like that at all. He said, I said, it would have happened if I wasn't drinking, I'm sure of it. And I said, you can't keep blaming drink. It's not the drink. And I honestly believed it wasn't the drink that was yeah. causing all we these problems. And we defend it, yeah. yeah. And, and it's only looking back now and I realised drink was the, the only problem, the only thing that caused all my problems. Yeah, it's the core of yeah. all the shit. There was nothing it? else that caused the problems. It was just that alcohol um, but I think it's a pivotal part of recovery about fessing up and being honest with myself but also seeing that sometimes these things that were negative like you having the thing with the driving mm. there were certain things I had happened that on paper looked negative yeah however looking at them in the light of recovery now mm -hmm. and I'll be five years in a few weeks looking well done. at that amount of time and it really feels like a length of time. Mm -hmm. There's a big difference between this and the two years I had twice before. Mm. And looking back on it, some of those things that may look bad on paper were actually the best thing that could have happened. Yeah. I went into a job in 2016 that I wasn't ready for, and I was extremely ill over it. Yeah. That's yeah. actually the best thing that could have happened at the time, because it's what, mm. in a pretty tortured ending, it's what eventually guided me here and into changes. Yeah. And without that catalyst, yeah, yeah. I might never have made it because it was the trying to go back to work and failing mm -hmm. because I didn't have a real handle on what was appropriate for me to do, what to say yes and no to. Mm -hmm. I wasn't really in control of what I was doing. No. And yet I thought I was, so I was in a denial in what I thought was sobriety. And I needed that. It's like sometimes they say around the room, someone needs to have a drink in order to come back. Yeah, definitely, definitely. I think that that is the case. And it's funny because that word denial, when I first come across that word in recovery, I thought, how dare you call me a liar? Yeah. Because denial to me is when you lie. And I didn't realise you could be in denial. You don't realise it. You don't realise that you're in denial. It's because you don't actually know that that's causing the problem. So if you believe that that's not causing the problem, and then I was told that you're in denial means you're lying because you know it is a problem. Well, actually, no, I didn't know it was a problem, so I'm not lying, so I'm not in denial. And that's how my head was working for some Denial's actually about refusal as well, isn't yeah. it? It's not that I'm lying, it's that I'm refusing to look at the truth. Yeah. Or I'm refusing to look at the evidence that everybody else is giving me. Yeah, or I don't believe the truth. And it's not necessarily what I'm saying, it's about what I'm making of what everyone else is saying. Yeah. And it's easy for us to fall into this trap, certainly as we come into recovery, mm. is this idea that if I'm in denial it means I'm lying. No, it's not about me lying. I've yeah. been lying all the time anyway. Mm -hmm. But the breaking down denial is getting me to see Yes. What I should have seen all along. Yeah. And now I need to see it, because if I don't see it, mm -hmm. I'm going to drink myself to death. Yeah. So I think it's a very important point to... Well, getting over denial is, I mean, as you know, because you do bits in the treatment place, mm -hmm. that that's really the first thing that has to happen once mm -hmm. people have landed, mm -hmm. is we have to look at their denial and look at the fact that they need to be in treatment because and why they need to be there. Yeah. We try not to allow them to minimise mm -hmm. 
or maximise. Because certainly what I would do is I would minimise the severity yeah, of incidents. Yeah. <laughs> and then I would maximise to the hilt anything that I'd done right. The one time that I could actually name when I'd gone out, had a couple of drinks, been the life and soul of the party and gone home. Isn't it mad? The one time that I'd done it. Isn't it 28 mad? years ago, the one time that I did it and nobody realised that I was a problem once I started drinking. That one time is more important than yeah. the 575,000 other times where I didn't manage to do it. It is balmy, isn't it? It is absolutely balmy because I did try that controlled drinking and it wasn't because I thought I had a problem with drinking, but I was trying to stop drinking and driving. So I thought, I can go around to my brothers, make sure I have a pint and a half of Stella yeah. um, and then I can drive home. It was avoidance of consequence for yeah. me, going to control drinking. Yeah, 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 yeah. It wasn't really addressing the problem. problem itself. It was me trying to address the problems it was causing yes. without me admitting that it was causing the problems. Yeah, that's Which it. meant I was never going to get anywhere with it. <laughs> Madness. Madness. I was imposing my form of solution on a problem that I didn't really understand. Yeah. And certainly a solution I didn't have and I only found it when I really uh, knuckled down with doing it. I could never understand why on Tuesday afternoon at two o'clock which is the time when I'd finished an alcohol course that I had to go on as part of my punishment for drink driving. It finished around half one, something like that. By two o'clock, I was more pissed than I've ever been for the whole of the week. Yeah. And that was because in the actual course, I had this bottle of Volvic, which didn't have Volvic in it. it had ah. And then afterwards, we'd all pop to the bar, which was conveniently just one street down. So on an alcohol course, you'd all go to the pub afterwards? Yeah. Through it, every single person. Well, I'll tell you. So, the so, thing I, is, when you're doing things like that, whether it's going to control drinking or whether it's going to some form of treatment, whether it's going to day patient at a rehab or whatever, mm -hmm. if I'm not really wanting to do it, yeah, all I'm going to be doing is making sure that I'm not over the limit at the times when I go in. Yeah. And as soon as I know I haven't got to be there for a couple of days, I'm going to get pissed. And which defeats the object of me being there in the first place. Well, they didn't breathalyse us anyway when we went in there. Whereas so if I take it seriously, I'm actually going to be doing yeah. what I need to do. And that's another layer of denial. I'm doing something about it, which actually means <laughs> I'm not. Me going to the controlled drinking thing was me saying, look, I'm doing something about it. Yeah. When actually what I was doing was avoiding doing anything about it. Because I was taking the solution that I knew I couldn't. Possibly deliver I was on probation for a year, so I had to do all these sorts of things. I've got actually community service as well, which was a nightmare. Good year, I was doing. And I started to look forward to that Tuesday because I got to treat myself. Because you've got a social group. Yeah, we've got, I've, got new, I've got new friends. Yeah, I've got new friends. Other problem drinkers to drink with. Yeah, they had a chart. We had to tally how much we had to drink. We had a chart. It was like one to ten, but my numbers actually would have reached 70 to 80. It wouldn't even fit onto the chart. We well, so just lied, don't you? Yeah, so I had to make them fit on the chart and adjust them. Oh dear, and confess that I've had a terrible week this week, so it's a little bit higher than usual, just for good measure. Well, actually, the little bit higher is what you had for breakfast. Yeah. That's why I've had. I've drank all of that chart put together this morning. Mm. You only do it when you want to do it, don't you? And I never wanted to give up drinking. It was to see it out me. Well, I yeah, because I'm only going to get out of denial when I want to be out. Yeah, definitely. And if I stay drunk, then I'll never have a problem. That was me in the last five years. The big problems came, so I drank, and I thought, hmm, the problems have gone away in my head. So. If and I they do, on, don't they? Yeah. You drink and everything goes away in your head. Gone completely. I remember going to the... And everything's great. I had to sell my house very, 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 very quickly. Because for some 
very strange reason I thought I do not want the repossession of a house on my credit file even though my credit file was absolutely trash but this one thing I just never ever wanted on my yeah. file so I sold the house made very minimal profit on it and I remember going into the estate agents lagging have you sold my house yet have you sold oh, my house oh god drunk as a skunk the things I did was just terrible I'd be going in buying a McDonald's here McDonald's sell me house sell me house and and stuff like that and they did sell it they did sell it for me what um, McDonald's no they sold the house and I was still living in the house and then I sold all the stuff that was in the house to them I said right you, do you want this and do you want this and do you want this I said you can yeah. have that if you give me this much money and so they would come round and I'd take the money oh, off them right. and, yeah, like yeah. and sell them the whole re ready made house I called it yeah. <laughs> the ready made house I remember once ringing them up saying have you got another 25 quid please you can have the sofa I was in denial about how much I'd lost financially for a very long time and I was in denial about the effect it had had for a very long time and for me in the end I had to stop and look at all of those denials yeah. one by one yeah. and yeah. that took some time because while the fundamental denial is about my use of alcohol and the way I am around that and all those things that spin off from that but there's all sorts of other everyday denials like uh, yeah, what happens yeah, yeah, with yeah. work or what happens with money or what happens with other people or what happens with where I live and this delusion because mm -hmm. denial and delusion of course are very closely oh, interlinked oh, oh. and I have to look at all of this as soon as I've got the alcohol away it's all of this stuff I need to look at yeah. because I can't look at it when I'm drunk mm. hence why step one is step one if I drink it's chaos and once it's chaos there's no point me trying to do anything else yeah but anyway, we have, without Matthew making an appearance, <laughs> we rearranged today because he asked to rearrange and... No, actually, no, it was me that asked to... Asked was it to, you? Yeah, it was me that asked to rearrange because I may have had an appointment in the morning. So it was me that changed it, so we'll let him off. I do. Shows about how much attention I was paying to the message then because yeah. I just said, oh, yeah, we can do it and whatnot. <laughs> My mistake entirely, Matt, it wasn't you that rearranged yeah. it. It was Ronnie and... It's funny. Hey ho, we've done it anyway. Yep. If you've heard anything that has resonated with you for yourself or for anyone you know and love today, then don't hesitate to get in touch either here or for help wherever you can find it. Mm -hmm. There are many different types of help out there. I will always advocate for the 12-step method, but there are other methods. It's definitely the most important thing is that you find some form of assistance, definitely. whether it's for you, for your spouse, for your child, for your sibling whoever it's for, that person has to want to do this. Yeah, definitely. And if they do, there are various forms of assistance available and various forms of support available. There are also forms of support available for families. They're sometimes more difficult to find, but they are there. Even if the idea of going into treatment is not an option or is frightening or scary for you, there's always the rooms to get to a meeting because you'll find a lot of people in there and very knowledgeable and know of lots of resources that will probably help yes. you get into treatment and give you a better understanding. So get yourself in the rooms. However you do it, there's nothing better than meeting other people who've been through or oh, going brilliant. through the same it's thing. It's, it's brilliant. There's no substitute for what... Bill Wilson and Dr. Bob did in the first place, yeah. which was basically just two drugs sitting there talking all night. Yeah. And they suddenly discovered in the morning, in the cold light of day, that neither of them had had a drink that night. Yeah, and if your problem is uh, chemicals and drugs as well, it all works in the same way. Um, it works in the same way as talk therapy, yeah. in that you find someone else who's going through the same thing or has been through the same thing, yeah. you will find a degree of identification that will help you. There is stuff on Twitter 
believe it or not. Yes. That actually helps with this. There is a, a community on Twitter called the Recovery Posse, which is all forms of recovery found their way in there. And there are lots of people on there telling the same story. So have a lovely week, and we'll be back next week. Yeah, goodbye for now. Bye.